Let's continue our worship time together in prayer. Lord, we do acknowledge that all our lives you have been faithful. All our life you have been so, so good. And I pray, Lord, that it would be more than just words that we sing, but it would be the reality of our life that with every breath that we are able, we will sing of the goodness of God. I confess myself that it's so hard sometimes to acknowledge your goodness when things don't go the way I'd like them to go. But I pray that you would help us to sing of your mercy, your goodness, and faithfulness from hearts that trust you. I pray now that as we turn to your word that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word today. I pray that you would give this preacher the ability to represent you well during this time. And together, give us eyes to see and hearts to believe all that you have for us, that we may proclaim the goodness of God in our midst and in our world. And so we entrust this time to you and trust that your spirit will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome back as we continue our study in 1 Peter. We're going to start with 1 Peter 2, the first 10 verses today. Uh, and if you'll notice in your Bibles, if you've already turned there, that um, he starts that with a so, which is the same as a therefore. And again, you know what, if you see therefore, you should ask what? Right, what's the therefore, therefore? So he's referring back to what we have already talked about in the first two chapters, or the first chapter, I mean, the first two studies we've done. First of all, in verse 3, we see that we have been born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ. Not only that, he's given us a future inheritance, and he's given us a life now where God purposefully uses the inevitable trials of life to refine us. Trials will come, but God even redeems and rescues those trials to intentionally refine us, to make us like him. And then in verse 13, which we looked at last week, we are to set our minds, we are to gird our minds, we are to dress our minds with the future hope of the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus Christ comes back. And remember how, if you were here last week, I illustrated what it means to dress our minds as I got dressed for my work, right? I make sure I'm wearing the right outfit, I put my identification badge and my keys on, I put my stethoscope around my neck, I am now dressed for work, I've girded up my body for work. Peter says we are to gird our minds for living lives of faith in Jesus Christ. And out of that, he says, we will pursue holiness, we will pursue a proper fear of God, we will pursue loving one another. And so we come to chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 10, where he then picks up on what he's already said, and he says, so, therefore. And so if you will turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're not already there, uh, I will read those, and you may follow along. And I encourage you to follow along. Uh, as we mentioned last week, uh, I'm going to mention again Acts 17, 11. Uh, Paul is in Berea after being thrown out of Thessalonica for preaching the gospel. And it says about the Jews in Berea that they were, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So I would encourage us all together 
to be in that category of being noble-minded. May it be said of us that we receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And so as we do so, let us read 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 10. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. As Peter goes on in verse 1, picking up from what he's already said in what we know as chapter 1, he actually uses a very commonly used teaching, I don't want to say technique, but a model that's, that the apostles use when they're writing. He talks in opposites. So his first thing that he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, put away, put away all malice and deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Put away all evil intent towards other people, all trickery, all two-facedness, all uh, discomfort at other people's, or dissatisfaction at other people's progress, all slander, all speaking badly of other people. Put those things away. Those are destructive to love, and holiness, and fear of God. But then he says, you put these things away, what should we, what is the positive side? He says, long for the pure spiritual milk, long for the pure spiritual milk. Most people believe that when, and actually many translations say that, they will say long for the pure milk of the word. So many commentators will say that this is referring to the word of God, that the milk of the word of God, that which we are nourished by, he says long for the pure spiritual milk. And how should we long for it? Just like a newborn baby craves for milk. Have you ever uh, been around a newborn baby who's uh, feeling deprived of milk? There is no secret of the unhappiness and the intense craving. Uh, that's the picture that Peter uses, that we should desire this pure spiritual milk. We should desire the Word of God. We should desire to know God as much as a newborn baby cannot live without the milk. So then Peter says, put away, long for so that you may grow up into salvation. You may grow up into salvation. And that'll be our focus today of what it means to grow up into salvation. And just as babies, 
grow up in their family, so we are to grow up into salvation. Uh, last week, I uh, referenced that I do have kids. Laurel and I have children. Uh, many of you don't know that. Uh, but there is uh, my oldest daughter, Sarah, her husband, Mick, and mine are Mo Tana. And Michael, there are four in there. Michael is peering, peeking around his mother's back there on the, the uh, knapsack there, the carrier. Uh, that's our son Aaron, his wife Tia, and Everly and Kinsley. And there is Martha and Robert and Abraham. So that is our family. So why am I doing this? Well, it's a shameless plug because I have the, the podium and I can do that and I can show my kids and grandkids. But I justify it by saying that there's, there is a motive, there's a purpose to this. And the motive and the purpose is that each of these families, and we become impressed with this as we get to know our grandchildren and get to know these families, each family has what it means to be part of this family. What it means to be part of this family. These children are members of these families not by choice, but by birth. They didn't work to become members. They didn't do anything to become members of the family. They were born into the family. They are members of the family by birth. Just as we who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ have been born again. We were born once into our earthly family. If we trust Jesus, we are born again into our spiritual family, into the family of God. And it's not something that we could do, not something we could conjure up. It's something that God had to do for us. But what now that they're members of the family, what do they do? What is their job, if you will? What is the work that they do? Well, their job is to grow up into what it means to be part of that family, to grow up into what it means to be part of that family. And it's very interesting, uh, especially with uh, my oldest daughter, with the four children, the, the two uh, boys, Minar and Modig, are, are old enough, you'll start hearing them talking about, well, the Kringle family does this. The Kringle family does this. The Kringle family doesn't do that. They have certain values and certain things that they will pursue. What are they doing? They are growing up into what it means to be a part of that family. And Peter says that we as believers are to grow up into the salvation that God has given us. Not to earn the salvation, we've already been given it. Not to earn our place in God's family, we've already been given it. We need to grow up into the practical implications of what that means that we are part of God's family. How many times do we lament, oh, they grow up so fast, right? They grow up so fast. But what would we be saying if they weren't growing at all? That would be a disaster. And so the same thing is with us as believers. Sometimes you look around and you say, that person's not growing. I wonder what's going on. So Peter's admonition to us is to grow up into the salvation that, he, that God has given us. So he goes on to give two pictures two pictures of what it means to grow up into salvation. The first one we see in verses 4 to 8, the first picture he gives us, you'll see in verse 5, you yourselves like living stones. He says, you are living stones, being built up as a spiritual house. And that the idea of spiritual house has two opposites to it. It's not a, a, a brick and mortar house. He's not building us into some building that you can touch. It's a spiritual house. 
But it also, uh, the word spiritual in the New Testament refers to not of the flesh, not of human effort. It's a spiritual house in the sense that it's, it's divine effort. It's God's effort. It's something that's not based on human ideas, thinking, or planning. Well, we are living stones, but he starts off by saying that Jesus himself is a living stone. And not only is he a living stone, if you'll notice there in verse 6, he says Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, here's a picture of a cornerstone. Uh, Many of us, uh, Grace Chapel has a cornerstone. Did you know that? Anybody know where it is? Uh, Will, you've done your homework. <laughs> yeah, it's right out here. If you, if you go out the steps in this back entrance and just turn to the right before you get down, it's a cornerstone. Now, this kind of cornerstone that's being shown here, you can see which one is the cornerstone, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. I don't have to point it out. Uh, the cornerstone in ancient building architecture was very, very important because the stone is carefully shaped and formed. It is placed precisely where it needs to be placed because every stone laid in that building is going to be laid in alignment to that stone. Grace Chapel's cornerstone is not one of those. Uh, it's, a, it's a decorative. It's a, a memorial. It's a, it's a decoration kind of thing, as, as are most modern cornerstones, because we have other ways of building buildings now to make sure that they're straight and, and not going to fall over. Uh, but in ancient architecture, the building was built with these cornerstones. And even today, a brick mason or a stone mason will lay a line across, lined up with that cornerstone as they're laying blocks. You'll see that they'll have, they'll have string and a pin stretching off, and they'll lay the bricks or the stones along that line. They also have what's called a plumb line. And the plumb line is what makes sure things are lined up vertically. So you have the the line that marks things out horizontally. You have the plumb line, which marks things uh, horizontally and vertically. Did I get those right? So the cornerstone is very, very important because it is the stone by which every other stone has to be aligned. And that's what gives the integrity of the building. What I'd like to do here is if you look in uh, verse 6, uh, in most Bible translations, those verses, behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, is indented or marked off in some way to show that God is really, or Peter in this case, is referring to something that has already been said somewhere else in the Bible. And in the case of uh, this verse, it's from Isaiah 28, verse 16. And I'm going to encourage you to, uh, to go there if you want to, and if not, I'm going to read it. This is a reference uh, from the Old Testament that Peter is using. So verse 16 says, therefore, well, let me give some background. Israel has strayed from the Lord. Israel is doing its own thing. Israel is the, the people of God. It even says we have made a covenant with death and with the place of death. We have an agreement. We have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. They are pursuing things outside the will of God. They are pursuing things apart from God. And God's answer to them is this. Behold, I am the one who was laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste or will not be disappointed. 
very interesting. This is a good example. Jesus said, everything in the Old Testament speaks of me. Everything in the Old Testament speaks of me. And you look at this passage, Peter clearly is identifying this as speaking with Jesus. But if we look at it now and try to figure that out, there's no way that they knew at that time that it was speaking of Jesus. But God is planting the seeds in our hearts and minds that when Jesus came, Peter can look back and say, Jesus is that cornerstone spoken of in Isaiah. People can say, yes, that's what it is. We were pursuing lies and falsehood, but Jesus is the truth. He is the cornerstone. But what I found interesting is not just that, but Peter does not reference verse 17. Verse 17 says, I will make justice the line... I will make justice the line, and I will make righteousness the plumb line. I will make justice the line, and righteousness the plumb line. So, this gives us the model, and if you look here at that cornerstone, he says justice is the line. I'm going to line up this wall with justice. There's going to be right judgments made on what's right or wrong in this world. Injustice is going to be corrected and done away with. Those who deserve to be punished will be punished. Those who are to be rewarded will be rewarded. And God's justice was ultimately found in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for those sins that were done against God's law and against his word. But also, the plumb line is righteousness. The wall is going to go up with the right way of living with consistency with who God is and how he would have us to live. Jesus Christ is this cornerstone bringing justice and righteousness to us. The line is justice and the plum is righteousness and Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. So we are like stones. We are living stones built up as a spiritual house, Peter says, and God has made us acceptable God has made us acceptable as stones by Jesus' death and resurrection. And so now, what does it mean to grow up into salvation? Part of that means that our lives are to align with Jesus Christ. As we lay down the blocks and the bricks of our lives, are they lined up with who Jesus Christ is? As we stack one on top of another, are they lined up with who Jesus Christ is? He is the cornerstone. And note the community language here. He says, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Priesthood. This is not an individual thing. He doesn't say you are a living stone as talking to individual. He says you collectively are living stones. This is a community. This is us together growing in God's grace. And he says we're to do so to offer spiritual sacrifices spiritual sacrifices. I'm going to leave this to you to dig into this a little bit more about what those spiritual sacrifices look like. If you want to look at it later, Romans 12.1 is a good place in Romans 13.15. I'm going to mention them. In Romans 12, Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says in Hebrews 13.15, let us offer continually a sacrifice of praise to God That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for with such sacrifices God has pleased. There are things in our lives that God calls us to that starts with presenting our whole selves to him as that sacrifice, as that offering to him that he may use for whatever his purposes are. 
So the first thing that Peter says what it means to grow up into salvation is that we are living stones to be aligned to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. You are living stones. The second thing that we see in verses 9 and 10, he says, you are God's people. You are God's people. And when Peter is doing this, he's, he's giving us our identity. He's telling us who we are, just as I showed pictures of the family of these three different families. You are a member of the May family. You are a member of the Kringle family. You are a member of the Mingle family. You are a member of this family. God is telling us, you are a member of my family, and as such, you are a living stone, and you are God's people. And again, Peter uses these opposites. In this section, he tells us what we were. He says, you were in darkness. You were not a people. You had not received mercy meaning you were on your own. You were on your own. But he says that what we are now, because of Jesus Christ, because we have come to him by faith in his death and his resurrection, we are God's people. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, living in the light of his presence. We are receivers of God's mercy. We are not left alone. We are maybe natural born, we are of a, a European race or an Asian race or uh, American race, South American. Uh, we may be of certain ethnic races, but God says you are a chosen race. Christians, believers, are a whole new race that God has created, a whole new race of people that God has created. And what is our purpose? Our purpose there, he says, in verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. We are to proclaim. We are, and that word proclaim means both to speak out, to tell out, but it also means to show forth. It means that by our lives, by how we live, we should live life in a manner consistent with being in God's family. Just as these children, as how they live will determine, or will show, not determine, will show what family they're a part of. We used to tell our kids when they left the house, when they were teenagers, remember, two families, two families. Well, that was code for meaning, remember who you are. You are a member of God's family and you are a member of the Mingle family. And so when you leave this house, represent those two families. That's what God tells us here, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us to himself, living life in a manner consistent with being in God's family. We should also be ready and able to tell others about the value of knowing him, the value of knowing him. So what is the bottom line of being living stones and being God's people? We are worshiping God with our lives. We are proclaiming that God is worth being aligned to as the cornerstone and that he is worth his excellencies being proclaimed. Now, we need to circle back a little bit because uh, we need to pick up a couple loose ends. We see in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone coming to him, meaning Jesus, he was rejected by men. Or in verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
And then he goes on, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. It's very interesting that for us, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one for whom we want to align our lives. We want to build our lives around who he is and what he has done for us. But there are people who look at Jesus and reject him. He is an offense. He's not a cornerstone. He's a stumbling stone. They're walking along and they trip over it. They fall over it. He's an offense. They find him offensive. Anybody recognize the building? It's Independence Hall. Uh, uh, Laurel and I and uh, my mother went down on July 3rd to the Philly Pops concert on Independence Mall. I had a concert. Uh, and this is a, a view from our seat. I just snapped that picture not knowing I was going to use it today. I said, hey, wait, let me see if I have one. The reason I show this is one of the things that really struck me as we were sitting there is they were singing a combination of patriotic songs as well as popular songs. And one of the big patriotic songs at this time of year is God Bless America. Great song, right? God Bless America. So we're sitting here, we're enjoying this, I'm listening to this, and all of a sudden, within two measures, people are standing. They started playing God Bless America. I said, well, where's this God? I mean, God, you're mentioning God in the public square? Well, not only were they mentioning God in the public square, they were standing with this song. And it really, really struck me. I, I continued sitting because I just wanted to just observe this and reflect on what was going on. What if it was Jesus bless America? What if it was Jesus bless America? See, God bless America isn't about God at all. What's it about? It's about America. It's about how good we are. It's how good we have it. Uh, yeah, we're going to throw some lip service to God, but if we said, Jesus, bless America. See, it's a prayer, right? God, bless America is actually a prayer, right? Through the night, let the light from above. I forget, can't even get the words, right? Let your light through the night guide us. It's, it's actually, it's a prayer, asking for God's help and God's protection. But people don't sing it that way. They sing it as, oh, you know, America is so great. If we said, Jesus, bless America, that'd be a very different story. It would not be a popular song. It would be a song that would be banned from the public square. It would be a song that people would not want to sing because why? Jesus is an offense to some. He's a stumbling stone to many. Many people reject Jesus outright. You mention his name, say, don't want to hear it. Others reject him by thinking of him as a nice person or thinking of him as a role model. But if you talk to him about being a savior for their sins, dying on the cross and raising from the dead, if you talk about him being the cornerstone, if you talk about him being the only way to God, then he becomes an offense. He becomes rejected. Peter says here, failing to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins is disobedience to God's word. And if you reject Jesus, something is going to be your cornerstone. Something will be your cornerstone. What you use to guide your life it could be your education, a false religion, relationships, career, human ideas. There's going to be something that you're going to line your life up with. And if it's not Jesus, that will not stand the test of time. And it certainly will not stand the test of eternity. So the result of rejecting Jesus is you're on your own, living in darkness, not knowing God's mercy, not being one of God's people for now and for all eternity. So let's wrap this up. So then everyone in this room 
falls into one of two categories, one of two groups. You are an unbeliever because there is no neutral ground in relationship to Jesus. If you have not embraced him, if he is not your cornerstone for your life, you have rejected him. There is no neutral ground. God's invitation for you, if you're an unbeliever, is for you to receive his mercy by believing that he died for your sins and he rose from the dead to give you new life, that you may be born again into his family, that you may grow up into salvation. But if you're a believer, God calls you indeed to grow up into that salvation that he has given, to live like his children who have been born again, born a second time, this time into his family. You were born once into your family of origin. If you come to Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are born a second time into God's family. And God calls us to learn what it is to grow up into that. It's interesting that it's only in Christianity that the verdict leads to performance. The verdict leads to performance. What I mean by that, this is the time of year at my work where performance reviews come out. So my boss is going to sit down with me, and how does she do a performance review? Well, she looks back on what she knows of my performance over the last however many months to a year, and she evaluates my performance based on the standard that is being held, held up to me, and then she'll tell me, good job, bad job, you need to improve on this, this is great, do more of this, whatever. The review flows out of past action. But, for in, Jesus, but, but in Jesus, we've been given a perfect performance review. We are given a perfect performance review because it has nothing to do with my performance but on his. The justice and righteousness that he brought is the cornerstone. He has taken care of our failures. He has clothed, clothed us with righteousness. It's like my boss saying, oh, you got, a perfect, you got a perfect performance review. And I say, well, wait a minute. I blew it back here. You don't want to hear about your doctor blowing it, right? So I'm, I'm sorry. I do make mistakes. Uh, we're not going to go there. Uh, it'd be like her saying, you have a perfect review. And I said, well, that's not possible because I did this and I did this. She said, don't worry, I got it. I covered it. I took care of it. Not only did I cover up for you, I covered it. I took care of it. The results are exactly what I wanted them to be. Your review is perfect. Not because of what you did, because of what I have done. That's what God tells us. We have a perfect performance review, not based on our performance, but on his so then how do we live? How do we grow up into that salvation? We do so by gratitude for what he has done for us. We are willing to align our lives to that cornerstone. We are willing to live as the people of God because of what he has done for us and our gratitude for that. God calls us to be confident that he is good and merciful and that he's coming back for us so that we can be with him forever. See, we can't see those things. We can see the, the troubles and the heartaches and the trials and the failures now but we can't see those things that God has promised to us, that he is good and merciful even when things seem dark, that he is coming back for us even though the, the suffering seems to be so long. So to grow up, we need to passionately long to be fed with the Bible's true teaching about who God is. We need to be willing to align our lives with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who died for you and who rose from the dead. We need to live like those who are people of God by his mercy. In short, we need to grow up into the salvation that he has given us. We need to grow up into what it means to be part of the family of God. Where we go starting next week is Peter, after laying this foundation of who we are, starts really taking a deep dive 
into the details of, okay, how does this meet where we actually live day to day? And I'm looking forward to that as we dig in. So as we close, I'd like to just offer us a few moments of quiet reflection on what we have heard this morning. Where is it that God is speaking to you about who you are and what it means to grow up into the salvation? And when he says grow up, it's not a disdainful, it's not, oh, grow up. It's an encouragement that you are part of this family. Grow up into what it means to be part of that family. So let's just spend a few moments of silent reflection on what we have heard this morning. Father, we thank you for the chance that we have to hear from you this morning, and I pray that it is indeed you that we have heard from, that your spirit would speak to our hearts through the truth of your word to transform our thinking, our attitudes, our knowledge of you, to be conformed to who you are and how you would have us to live. Help us now to grow up into that great salvation you have given us. Help us to know what that is. Help us to, to see Jesus Christ as the cornerstone and he is the one to whom we should align our lives. Help us to realize we are the people of God. We have been transformed into this chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession to proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us. You gave it all for us that we may be born again into your family. And so now may we walk upon that salvation with our souls surrendered to you, the one who has made us living stones and the people of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.